Uh, today we're going to be talking about avoiding spiritual blindness. Avoiding spiritual blindness. Um, we're going to continue our series, The Gospel Revealed. Uh, it's based on the New Testament book of Romans. You know, last week Pastor Cindy uh, was speaking to us out of Romans chapter 9. And, you know, a lot of things covered there. But one of the things we saw was that God calls people for special purposes. And his plans, what's unique about God's plans is they're not man's plans. They're different. They don't, and, and a lot of times what God ends up doing is not what we would have done. He, he, he has his own reasons and his own ways for doing things. Uh, for, well, just one example, uh, what, you know, Jacob and Esau. Esau was the older one. Normally the older one gets, you know, the blessing, okay? But God had another plan. He wanted Jacob. So God, the, the Bible is full of stories where God does things differently for his own special purposes. And we need to understand that. And uh, as, as a result of that last week, what we, one of the things we saw in Romans 9.16, it, it said it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. And he's speaking about his path to righteousness. But what we really need to understand is because we're a people who think that our hard work pays off. Right? And I mean, and that's a good thing to think about. I mean, especially in your job, right? Hard work pays off. If you work hard, you expect things to go well. And so I don't, don't you kind of get it how people start to think about earning their place before God? I mean, can't you kind of appreciate how that becomes a very tempting thing for people to do? Because in so many areas of our life, that seems to be the way to go. Okay? So... So what we need to understand is, though, that's not God's plan, is it? That's not what God had in plan. Okay, and so our position before God does not rest with our human desire or our human effort, but it says that it rests on God's mercy. It rests on his mercy. Okay, but now let's talk about this for a second. What happens when we reject God's call, when we reject his plan, when we say, nope, I... I, I, I'm not going to follow his way. I'm not going to just uh, go for his mercy for our lives. What, what happens when we try to do things our own way? Well, today, as we study Romans chapter 10, uh, we're going to see what happened to the Israelites and what can happen to us as well uh, when we choose against God's calling on our lives and we choose to follow our own path our own plans, and how we want to do things. So, to start, just a, a quick summary, uh, a couple of verses that were right at the end of last week's chapter. I'm not going to read them, I'm just going to say something about them, because they kind of flow into chapter 10, right? We all remember these chapter marks are not, uh, you know, those did, God didn't call this Romans chapter 9 or Romans chapter 10, right? This is stuff men added later. So sometimes things flow across chapters, but... Right at the end of chapter 9 in verses like 30 and 31, uh, it, it said, But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. And why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it by works. So that's kind of the setup. The, the people of Israel decided to not take God's plan, take God's offering, his, his path to righteousness by faith, which is Jesus, right? But they decided to take their own way and go at it by works. So let's read now Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 21. If you've got your Bible, uh, please turn to it. If you don't have your Bible with you, you are certainly welcome 
to follow with the, uh, uh, the verses that are on the screen. Uh, I'm reading from the NIV, uh, so here we go. Uh, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. He says that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, for that is to bring Christ down. Or who will uh, descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word about Christ. But I ask, did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Again, I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation, and I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I reveal myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. Let's talk about just what we just read. First of all, if we go back to chapter 10, where we are, verses 2 and 3, it said, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They're zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own. That is, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Okay, here's a question for you. What is wrong with pursuing righteousness through works instead of by faith? What's wrong with that? Anybody? You're going to be running in place. You're not going to get anywhere. What else? That's a great answer. It's not God's way. And so uh, 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 my English teacher made me learn what a synonym and an antonym and all synonyms and all these things. Okay, so if it's not God's way, what's a synonym for not God's way? It's a three-letter word. Sin, yeah, okay. 
It's, like it's, it's, it's sin, right? If it's not God's way, then don't do it, right? Okay. And, you know, and I kind of think what you were saying, it's my word for it, and I think yours is great, but it's frustrating, too, right? Because you can work and work and work, and, and yet it's not, it's not getting there, okay? Yes. Right. We, we just can't do it, can we? I mean, it's, that's, that's just it. I mean, it's, you know, Pastor Cindy a few weeks ago in a different message member was talking about, I think it was uh, trying to jump over a canyon or, you know, jump, I forget if it was to the, you know, off up to a tall building, right? I mean, I can jump two feet and there's probably some, you know, really good athletes can jump up, you know, five or six feet high, but nobody can jump up a thousand feet or 800 feet, right? So, I mean, no matter how good you are, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we would say, well, I'm a good person, right? You know, I do. we're not going to achieve God's righteousness. Not only because we just can't, okay, but it's also not God's plan. So, I mean, if you kind of think about it, even if you could, it still wouldn't be right because it's not God's plan. We need to follow God's plan for us, okay? So here's, and here's the problem. Let's read back in Romans 1, verses 18 and 19. It said that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people. And here's a phrase, who suppress the truth. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness since they may be known, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. God has made his way known. He, he gave us Jesus. He, he showed us his path to righteousness, his path to mercy. And so if we reject it, one of the things we're doing, Scripture says, is we're suppressing the truth. We'll come to that here in just a second, okay? Then in Romans 1, 21 and 22, it says that for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, and their thinking then became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They claimed to be wise, but became fools. Look, what we see in these verses, the problem with pursuing righteousness by pursuing God through works, taking that path instead of God's way by faith, is that you are rejecting God's wisdom, God's love, and God's plan for your own plan. Romans 1.25 calls it when you exchange the truth of God for a lie. That is, your thinking becomes futile and your heart becomes darkened. And as it says in Romans 1.22, the result of that is you become foolish. Prophet Isaiah spoke of this condition in Isaiah 6, 8 through 10. And he said, they're ever hearing, but never understanding. Ever seeing, never perceiving. Hearts calloused, ears dulled, eyes closed. That is spiritual blindness. That is spiritual blindness. Let's be clear. The Israelites were zealous for God, right? They were zealous for God. Paul says it. You were zealous for God. But their zealousness had become misguided. When they missed recognizing Jesus as the Son of God, 
their long-awaited Messiah, then Paul says about them in Romans 10, 2 through 4, like we said, for I can testify about them, that's the Jewish people, that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness of God and they sought to establish their own. They, they became foolish, darkened. They never can understand. So now, let's just make sure we're all together. What is zeal? What, what is zeal? Passion. Zeal's passion. Excitement. Drive. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, the dictionary calls it a great energy or enthusiasm in the pursuit of an objective or a cause. Israelites were zealous for God, right? They, 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 but living zealously on one side, Paul didn't say that their zeal, that being zealous for God was bad. Remember in the verse? He said it became misguided. So here's the thing, right? Is there anything wrong with zeal just by itself? No, being enthusiastic, being passionate, uh, you know, being, you know, being driven to do something. That can be very good, right? Okay, uh, I'm sure you other guys that are here, this isn't true of you. But, but some guys, uh, have you ever heard, don't like to ask for directions? Have you ever heard that, you know, that we don't like to ask for directions, okay? Well, we're a lot safer these days, right, because now we can just plug it into the phone and, it, you know, we, we avoid a lot of trouble, okay? But we don't like to ask for directions, right? And I just never remember, always remember a friend of mine who, who used to say, uh, there's, there's nobody more lost than the guy who's sure he isn't lost, right? Do you know what I mean by that? There, Man, if you're sure you're going the right way, even though you're going exactly the wrong way, all you're doing is just getting to the wrong place faster, right? You know, you're just going to the wrong place faster. And really, if you're going the wrong direction, the last thing you need to do is get there sooner. Here's the deal. But when you reject God's truth for a lie, that's exactly the same situation. You're just going to get to the wrong place faster. You become spiritually blind. And when we become spiritually blind, it makes it even easier for Satan to lead us further down the wrong way. We become an easy target for deception because we can't see with our spiritual eyes. Okay, let's just, before we do rush on too far here, so we're talking about blindness. This is going to sound like a simple question, but let's not overlook it, okay? So, what is physical blindness? Describe it. Not a trick question. What is physical blindness? You can't see. Right? You can't see. All right. So, if someone is physically blind, because they can't see the tree that's right here, does that mean the tree doesn't exist? No. They're still going to have to be obedient to the laws of nature. I mean, the tree is there. If they walk into it, they will hit it. Just because they can't see it doesn't make it not there. All right. What is spiritual blindness then? Not seeing the way. What else? Any other thoughts? No understanding of... Of any, of any situation. Good. Anyone else? 
Ja. You, but you may have trouble hearing them too, right? Because part of that blindness is our ability to receive anything from God because the enemy deceives us. And so, I mean, if you think about it, spiritual blindness really gets down to things like, I can't understand God's word. I, I, I can read it, but it's just, I mean, did any of you know that difference? Did ever, any of you ever have that moment where you'd been reading maybe God's word for a long time? And all of a sudden, God, you know, God's word. For me, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, I, I'd been reading God's word all my life. And I went back and read it, and it was like it was, the whole thing was new. It just, it just was new. I mean, but there's a time in your life in faith or wherever, wherever you are, but where God's word all of a sudden opens up before you and, you, and you start to understand it, you start to receive it. Okay, when, but when we're spiritually blind, we can't understand God's word. We, we can't see God's hand at work in our lives. We, do, we don't see what he's doing. We can't understand it. We can't see him at work in the lives of others. All we can see is what the enemy lets us see. And the enemy never shows us good stuff. And when we're spiritually blind, we can't recognize Jesus as God's son. We're blind to the truth. And, and just like with the physically blind, spiritually blind means just because you can't understand it doesn't mean that it's not true and that it doesn't exist. It just means you're fighting against it, you're missing it. Spiritual blindness is a big problem for at least two reasons I can think of, and you may be able to think of more. But at least two reasons when you're spiritually blind, first of all, you're easily deceived by people that the enemy will put in your life to help move you further away from God. Because of this blindness, here's the other problem. Because when you're spiritually blind, you also will misread circumstances and situations and conversations and motives, and your responses to the issues you face in life will likely be wrong. Because, because the enemy is not going to lead you to resolve conflict. He's going to lead you deeper into it. Remember, there's nobody more lost than the person who thinks, who's sure they're not lost. There's nobody more blind than the person who has rejected God because they've substituted their own plan and they're so sure it's a good plan that they quit thinking about any other alternatives. And now the enemy has them and he can lie to them. There's a second thing, and this is one that I think for any of us with, I mean, we have family, right? We all have family. We have and if we don't have any more family left, we have friends and we have people we care about. Here's the other problem. Your spiritual blindness will cause you to lead other people then away from the truth of God. There are people, there is a sphere of influence that each of us have. There are people who do look to us for guidance and counsel. And whether you know it or not, they're paying attention to what you do. And so when we're spiritually blind, not only do we miss out on what God has for us and his best, but we start to lead others with us. I don't think any of us want to live like that. That's why Jesus called the Pharisees blind guides. That's why he called them blind guides. In Matthew 15, verse 14, Jesus said, Leave them. They are blind guides. 
If the blind lead the blind, both fall into the pit. So what about us? How do we, you know, we don't want to live that way, right? So how do we ensure that, that we avoid spiritual blindness in our own lives? Well, the first thing we want to do to avoid spiritual blindness is we don't want to try to be good enough on our own. Don't try to be good enough on your own. Look, most of us um, like to think of ourselves as independent thinkers, right? We're kind of, you know, we're rugged individuals. We're independent thinkers. Uh, we're, we, we, you know, we can do these things on our own. But this problem, this, this can become a problem for people. Uh, when we decide to reject God's word and instead uh, we decide that because we're independent thinkers, we can find our own way. We can create our own path to God. Because once you reject receiving Jesus for whatever reason, right, whatever reason you decide that you're going to go your own way and you're going to try to make your own path uh, to get to God, no matter how socially acceptable or how politically correct it might seem to you, as the one path to God, you are left needing to fill that void. Once you reject that, you have a void that needs to be filled. You've got to create something else, an alternative plan. Here's the problem. The fact is that deciding to reject the truth of God and create your own plan is actually step one in the playbook to creating a false religion. That's actually step one in their playbook. Because if you think about it, if you've ever studied false religions, one of the common denominators across many of them is that it was created by some a, a person, a, a human. Okay? It was created by somebody who actually oftentimes had a knowledge of the word of God but there was a particular part of it they didn't like. There's a particular part of it that, that, uh, that, spoke, to a, uh, that spoke to a sin that they uh, wanted to keep on doing. But the Word of God would convict them, and so they couldn't stick with the Word of God. They had to eliminate that part and write in their own script, go their own way. That's where false religions come from. And once they do that, then they find other people, usually who want to live that same lifestyle, who will join in with them. And they're both just led more deeply away from the truth. That caused Jesus to say in 11, uh, Luke 11, verse 52, he said, Woe to you experts in the law. Woe to you, you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge you yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. Here's the critical thing. Once you reject the truth of God's paths to righteousness, and that's Jesus, the enemy, now has access to create that spiritual blindness in your life, and that leaves you open to false teaching that will lead you even further away from God's truth and deeper into darkness, but your blindness will also cause you to mislead others as well whether it's your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, or your friends. Isn't it amazing? That verse 11, Luke 11:52, 11, when he said, "Woe to you experts in the law." I mean, he was talking the people who missed this 
were the very people you would think have been the most able to understand what God was doing. All of the prophecies about the Messiah, all of the prophecies about how he would be, where he would come from, what he would do, they were all fulfilled in Jesus. They were all fulfilled in Jesus. And these guys all knew that scripture. I mean, most of the, the Pharisees, right, and the scribes, they had so much of the Old Testament memorized by chunks. I mean, they could just quote it. They should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, and yet, because it didn't fit what they thought it ought to be, it didn't fit their picture of it, they rejected it. They went their own way, and as a result, they created their own path to God. Very zealously, but very misguided. And that's when he's talking about here that you've taken away the key of knowledge. If you, know, if we t if you take Jesus out of the equation... You've taken away the key to knowledge. And then he says, you yourself rejected it, and now you've hindered all the other people. That's what we're talking about. You, you bring people with you to move them further away from God. Romans 10, verse 4. This time I'm going to read it from the Amplified. So I really like how it's, how, what it says. Romans 10, 4 says, Christ is the end, the goal of the law. It leads to him, and its purpose is fulfilled in him for granting righteousness to everyone who believes in him as Savior. Okay, Paul presents Jesus as both the end and the goal of the law. Okay, I mean, you, I get it, but I, I, I had to think about that. I mean, like, wait, what, why do you need to say those two things? Here's the best example I come up with. It's like, it, you know, Paul talks a lot about running a race. Okay? Well, okay, let's use, let's use a race. It's a great example for this. There's a finish line, right, it, it, for a race. Okay, when I'm running a race and I reach the finish line, the race is ended, right? Okay, but crossing the finish line was the goal. Does that make sense? There's, there's an end, but there was a goal, okay? And Jesus ended the era of the law's rule as he ushered in the times of fulfillment to which the law always pointed. So let's just be really clear on one thing about this. There is only one path towards righteousness then, and it's Jesus. There's only one path. There's not many there's not the one that you like better. There's not the one that a friend over here said, oh, he's got another, you know, the phrase, there's many paths to God. That's not true. Don't be deceived. Anyone that tells you there are many paths to God is spiritually blind and is being deceived by the enemy. There are not many paths to God. There is one path to God. And Jesus said it. John wrote it in John 14, 6, and it stated... You know, sometimes people say, well, the Bible's not really clear on this point. You know, no, you know what I mean? You know, sometimes when people, when they want to, right, will justify, you know, believing or not, because the Bible's a little gray in this area. It doesn't state it plainly. Well, this is an area the Bible states really plainly. In John 14, 6, it's as plainly stated as you could say it. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Just to be sure, 
I checked out the word no one, looked it up in the Greek, and guess what it means in the Greek? No one means no one. It doesn't say, uh, except for a few ideas by some really smart people, you know, who live over here, you know, in the swamp. I don't, you know, wherever. It's not, there is one path to God. He created one path to righteousness, and his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So to avoid spiritual blindness, don't rely on your own goodness. It's not good enough. It won't get it done. Accept God's plan as your own plan. Take your own plan. Let it just go with him because he loves you. He loves you. He wouldn't do anything to hurt you. He loves you. That's the first way. The second way we avoid spiritual blindness is we follow Jesus and his leading. Romans 10, 9 and 10 said it real clearly that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe. It's with your heart you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, who everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that a great promise? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And once again, the Greek for everyone means everyone. If There's nobody. If you call on the Lord and profess with your mouth, and I mean, if you take, if you do this, there is nobody that God ever says, well, I meant almost everybody. No. I mean, I'm really thankful that there aren't some caveats to that, to that deal. Because there's probably a few of us that wouldn't have made the muster. There's probably a few of us that might not have got in. Okay? I'm thankful that it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Matthew 12, 34. I don't, it's just one of my favorite verses. Fits here, but I also probably would have put it in anyway, just because I like it or nothing. Matthew 12, 34 says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you ever want to know what somebody really thinks, well, they're telling you. Because whatever's coming out of their mouth is what's in their heart. And so, whatever our heart belief, our mouth confesses. If a person decides to reject God's path to righteousness and as a result rejects Jesus Christ as their Savior and the Lord, Look, here's the real issue then. They have a real problem, but they may not even be aware of it. They may not even be aware of it. Because 2 Corinthians 4.4 says the God of this world, and the God of this world is Satan. Okay? The God of this world has blinded, because that's a little g, okay, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving to prevent them from seeing the illuminating light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Here's the deal. When you open a door to Satan, he doesn't hang back. He doesn't hang back to wait and see if you really meant it before he comes in. You open a door to Satan, and I'm here to tell you, he rushes in. Before you might have a moment of clarity somehow and come to your senses and pull back. The truth is, we all know, right? God's word says Satan's MO is to kill, steal, 
destroy. Right out of God's word, right? Kill, steal, and destroy. So let's be clear. Satan is in a hurry to destroy anyone that does not belong to Jesus. If he can kill you before you have a chance to accept God's plan of righteousness for your life, then you have just crossed over into eternal separation from God. That's what Satan wants for you. He doesn't really care whether your life is happy or not. He just wants you to die without knowing Jesus. Aren't you glad God operates in a different way? I am really thankful. God's got a different plan. Really clearly stated, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. It promises us that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you and patient with me, not wanting anyone to perish. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Man, I'm so thankful that God is patient. How, anybody here needed God's patience this week? <laughs> Maybe like already today. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. I mean, if we, and, and I'm not trying, you know, I'm really not trying to like, this is not to be funny or something, but I mean, if, isn't it really true? I mean, when we, we go through our lives and if we're not careful, we kind of forget how God has been, how good he's been to us. All I just want us to really understand is that God operates differently from Satan, who rushes in to kill us and destroy us. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants us to come to repentance. And that is the antidote for spiritual blindness. Coming to him is the antidote. 2 Corinthians 3.16 tells us clearly that when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. All of a sudden... I can see clearly. I can understand. So to deal with spiritual blindness, we need to accept God's path to righteousness and become a follower of Jesus and, and follow his leading in our lives. And finally, if we want to, you know, once we've done this, has been true in our lives, we want to help others know how to follow Jesus. Remember the folks who are misled, not only are misleading themselves, but they're misleading others who follow them. So, once we remove the spiritual blindness in our lives, don't we want to help other people walk in the right direction as well and follow Jesus? Look, most likely, most likely, you came to know Jesus because somebody told you about him. Somewhere back in your life, somebody told you about him and how he had changed their life. And so now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Apostle Paul, remember back in Romans 10, verse 1, the very first thing that this chapter started out with, he said, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Okay, just like Paul, the first thing that you and I can do for any of our friends or coworkers or family members or neighbors or anyone else that don't know Jesus is we can pray for them. We can pray for them. We can ask God. You know, there's some really powerful things that we can pray just a few. We can claim them for the kingdom of heaven. We can ask God to remove their spiritual blindness and allow them to see the truth of God's word. We can uh, ask God to, you know, some of our friends, 
I've prayed this for a lot of folks. God, surround them with friends who love you. Give them some new friends that will influence them and guide them and at least maybe help kind of plow the ground of their hearts a little bit, you know, to get them ready. Okay, give them some new friends. God, protect them from the attacks of the enemy and prepare their hearts to receive your word. Pray that God will provide an opportunity for them to hear the gospel and about the love of Jesus. And maybe from you. Romans 10, verses 14 and 15, we read it just to review it. It said, but how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one they've not heard about? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So after you've prayed about these friends and neighbors and family members and coworkers that you have that are on the wrong path, that are on the wrong path, you can share your story with them. I love that. You know, you don't need a seminary degree to share your story. You don't need to have 50 Bible verses or all of the Old Testament memorized to share your story. You just need a story. Just share what God did for you. No one can argue with that because it's your story. So you can share your story. You can invite them to church or to join in the Bible study. And you can support your local church and missions so that the gospel can continue to be preached both right here and around the world. Remember that verse in 2 Peter 3.9 that God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And you and I have a part to play in that. Why don't you stand with me as we get ready to close? Just take a second. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Uh, just a minute between you and God, just a private moment. Um, are there any changes you need to make in your life that will remove spiritual blindness or that will help you avoid it in your life? Is there anything that, any changes you need to make? regarding spiritual blindness in your own life. If there's, if there's something you feel like you just need God's help on right now, just tell him what that is. Just tell him. God, I need help in this area. And secondly, I just want you to think of somebody. Who can you help to move one step closer to Jesus by praying for them but then by sharing your own story by inviting them to church or Bible study who is that person lift that name up to God right now lift him up lift him up Okay, nobody looking around. But if you if you have lifted up a name to God, I just want you to hold up your hand real quick. Just say, yep, God, I, yeah, thank you, Lord. Would expect every hand would go up for <laughs> today. Father, 
We don't want to be spiritually blind people. Lord, today we, we just agree that we receive your path to righteousness, Jesus. And that, Lord, we want others to as well. And so, Father, for uh, we, we don't want any areas that will cause spiritual blindness in our lives. Lord, we don't want to become blind guides. But, Father, we want to be people that are a lighthouse, that shine the light of truth that others can follow. And now, Father, you've heard the names that we've lifted up before you. And, Lord, I pray that today, Lord, I pray for breakthrough in each of those lives today that have been lifted up before you. I pray, Father, that you will touch them in a unique way, Lord, that they will know can only be from you. And I pray, Father, that today they would cry out to you and receive your path of righteousness in Jesus. Lord, now today, I just pray that you would continue to watch over each of us. Lord, we thank you for the health and the protection that you've brought us during this pandemic. We thank you, Lord, that you've allowed us to meet here today. And we thank you, Father, for your love and care. So, Father, now as we go our ways today, oh, God, we just ask you to protect each of us. Lord, pray that we would walk in your protection, your blessing, and your care in all that we do. And that, Lord, that today, even through our masks, Lord, that your light of love would shine to those around us. And that we would be your hands and feet in this hurting world. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.